Now, at, at the, give me the the Salisbury call letters again. The Salisbury stations. Oh, it was WJDY. JDY. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of programming did you do there? Rhythm and blues, and it was for two hours uh, every Sunday, and they had a whole listening audience for that. So I started off uh, with the, the new um, um, owner of the station said, we can continue with doing the two hours, two hours of R&B. And so that's what I did. But then, as you know, in commercial radio, you have some rotations. And there's only so many things that you can put in in those rotations. before, Like there's certain oldies, R&B, certain new... And right. if you if you uh, mess up with the format, you could probably get fired. Well, I got a little comfortable. Like I said, remember, this is just play for me. It's mm-hmm. play for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I got a little comfortable. I think it was around maybe like four months of doing this. And I said, well, I I want to start incorporating more of what. And it wasn't it was in the station, but it wasn't necessarily in the rotation. Right. Okay. It was in the library. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. It was in the library. Yeah. So that 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 was okay. <laughs> that wasn't okay. And I got a call from the owner, not not the station man, from the owner saying. So then I went back, and then he said that he wanted me to increase the top forty. That's what it was. I was supposed to be playing top forty, and I was sticking in art. That's what it was. Okay. <laughs> he changed, and I kept on stick. Well. I don't know if people called the station and started to complain. I, I have no idea why all of a sudden they let me. I was freer to develop that that line with stuff that was in the station. Like I said, I do believe that spiritual forces sometimes are are in operation. And it's like, oh, well, because I, I was going to then go back to top 40, though I didn't like it. I was going to do it because I really like being on radio. Mm-hmm. And I like the energy that other listeners, listeners would call me and say such nice things all the time. So they call me into the station and I say, okay, they're going to fire me. They Okay, that's my good run. And they said they wanted to expect because the ratings during that show were up. Mm-hmm. which I didn't know. Uh, first of all, I didn't know anything about Arbitron ratings. I did not. Again, I'm not. D- anyway. Right. anyway. And so they were talking about the Arbitron ratings and where they were and whatever. And so that they were going to give me more latitude to pick uh, more R&B stuff within what was in the station. Okay. And that just, oh, I was like a little pig in slop when they said that. So, <laughs> Uh, they extended the hours. I forget. It was maybe like from two hours to three hours on Sundays. And eventually, I had a show weeknights before I left, before I left and got married. And that was that was really nice. And plus, um, I also got the opportunity to be the mistress of ceremony at several of the concerts at the Civic Center in Salisbury as a result of it. And then I took that part very seriously because I thought that I was representing Salisbury, you know, like uh, uh, the SOS band, the Prince, Cameo, Mm -hmm. all of those people on their way up were in mid-size arenas. Markets, right. right. Mm -hmm. And so they, they stopped 
And so, like I said, the ultimate was Prince. And so although I didn't introduce him, he had his own person to introduce him. I did with the Maurice time and uh, Maurice Day and the time and um, uh, Apollonia and all of right, so right. that. Nasty was, girls. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was really good. And I had a, a friend of mine who was also my couturier. And so he designed my outfits. And so there were people who, after the show that would call in and said, you did Salisbury proud, you know, pride. You, you did us pride because you were representing us. And so I took that very, very seriously. So I went out of my way to look whatever the theme was, to do whatever. And it was fun. It was sure. Fun. Mm-hmm. The radio station would, would pay for uh, someone to dress you up? No. I would do it. Oh, you would do it. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, but but like I said, I I just thought I was representing Salisbury, not Baltimore. We were being distinctive of being Salisbury, little Salisbury, sure. who's the second heaviest populated um, town or city in in Maryland. So that was a source of pride for me. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So that was the eighties. I can just by saying SOS band and camera yep. and stuff. I know yep. right where you are locked in there. Yep. Do you remember when you came to WVUD? And uh, 86. 86. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, uh, your voice work here. Just, I mean, I guess it was, who was, who, do you remember some of the people who were running the show when you came in 86? I'm trying to no. think myself. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. But someone, I'm guessing said to you, Gloria, would you like to do this public service announcement for us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But see, th- that was easy. Well, no. I, I, if it if it requires me splicing and dicing and whatever, that's a different story. Right. But it just if it just requires my voice, I'm there already. I'm there already sure. because they when you're in commercial radio and you actually do commercials. You're under much more stress than you are here. You know, they want you to get it right because time is money and advertisers and whatever. So Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have that kind of stress in the station. So once again, doing public service announcements to me is just fun. It's play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Have you ever done any other shows like specials or one-offs or anything since you've been here? No. No. Okay. Mm -mm. Um, do you have any particular memories of of guests or anything you've had on your show or moments on oh your show? Oh, my goodness. When I was, yes, I do. One in particular. Besides Pieces of Re, one in, one in particular. When I was 30, I was depressed for three months because I hadn't gotten married and have 1.2 children. And there was a part of me that just thought I was a failure uh, my age cohort, there were people who had their, on their second child, and here I was, not even married. Okay. So I was depressed, not clinically, but I was depressed and down mm-hmm. uh, for about three months. By the time that I was 40, okay, we didn't have any children. I was divorced. And Gerald Albright and one of his band members, because they were, they were at the University of Delaware, he agreed uh, for me to interview him. And once again, the gift of the gab was in my favor. And he signed um, his music for me. And he found out that it was going to be my birthday and it was a surprise. 
And though I don't drink, he bought me a very expensive, because I gave it away, <laughs> bottle of champagne. And I swear, I thought I was in heaven after that. I said, wow, okay, from 30 and being depressed because I wasn't married and have to 40 and being toasted by somebody of his caliber who was actually a nice, just a nice individual. I said, wow, life is good. Life is good, yeah. Well, yeah. That's... So that's my most memorable moment. Yeah. Uh-huh. Great, that's great. Is he still around, Gerald Albright? Is he still recording? Gerald uh, Albright, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Good, good. Um, let me think of what else I want to ask you here. I have a little long pauses here. Let me know when the chop thinks. Um so you've just switched your show now, and I realize you said that was because of the hours. I understand that. Oh, from, yeah. I, completely. I mean, yeah. I'm on, I'm, every my wife, every Saturday night for 35 years, I've had six to eight, you know, blocked out. <laughs> We're late to every party. And, you know, that, you know, I mean, <laughs> right, right. when we used to get invited to parties, you know, right. anyway. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's pretty much it. Let me just think about uh, anything more about, uh, let me look at my questions for one second here. Sure. Uh Have you always been on Thursdays? I'll just ask that for my own Oh, I was for many, yeah. many. In fact, the Mellow Madness on Sundays is less than a year old, I think. I think it's less than a year old. Yeah, that seems right to me. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny to come onto the station and it's still light, depending upon whether we're on... The time of year. Yeah, daylight. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Have you have your have your have your tastes? Uh, does the show still reflect your tastes? Um, you know the show you're doing now. I think so, and it's also a combination. Sometimes, if people come call in, and they'll ask for an artist, and it's it, and and they call in enough, like it's more than one person, um, and we don't have it. The station doesn't have it, and I don't have it. Normally, I'll go and, and get it because most of the listeners seem to understand what fusion jazz is. Every once in a while, and I, I can tell you this was about when I was on Avenue C, and it was it was probably eight or nine years ago. And the caller called in and, and he said, I know that you do not play John Coltrane. I liked him for saying that. Because mm-hmm. for whatever he was going to say afterwards, he was being respectful. He said, I know you don't play John Coltrane, but it's his, I forgot what anniversary was. And he was telling me um, how John Coltrane was a man before his time and all that. So then I went into the library and I played some John Coltrane. And one of the things that I looked at was if there was, and the, the station has a lot of John Coltrane. If they had like uh, memories of John Coltrane or the best of John Coltrane, then I knew, although I don't follow John Coltrane, that I was going to give that listener what he wanted. And so the last half hour of my show was devoted to John Coltrane. Mm. And he called me five minutes before the show was over because he was connected again to me. And he said, thank you. And I said, no, thank you. Because he knew how to ask nicely. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'll say to some people, I'll say, you know, their requests, not demands. <laughs> <Right. laughs> 
I like that. I like that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and I have a similar story. Just uh, I, I'm not really a jazz person at all, but someone. Um, uh, a, a girl I worked with actually called me like at six o'clock, right? While I'm going on there, she goes, Jerry, uh, um, uh, Miles Davis just died. I'm like, oh. wow. And I'm, so I'm thinking, gee, this is not my show at all, mm-hmm. but this is a, a landmark event, you yeah. know? So I just went in there and I saw there was a 12 inch of Miles Davis covering the, the pop song Time After Time, yes. which is actually written by Philly guys that, that were in the Hooters. Right. And I said, well, and it was it was time appropriate. It was like four or five minutes, mm-hmm. you know. So I said, "I'll play that." And what a great uh, anyway! It was a great recording. Absolutely, I, I still play it. And uh, yeah, because Miles Davis mm-hmm. is one of those people that he plays traditional and fusion jazz, and so there's enough of what he's presented to choose from them. Absolutely, because there's some stuff I, I it doesn't segue it doesn't segue well in my show. But some of his um, later pieces definitely are fusion. Yeah, and the time after time is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Because the, you know, and it's a cliche, but the listeners really help you along. You know, people, Absolutely. people have requested songs, you know, 20 years ago that I play now a lot that have become favorites of mine. And it's a nice little feature of radio that you... Uh, you're kind of co-creating a little bit, you know. Oh, I'm telling you, this was years mm-hmm. ago because I've been at WV... Uh, VUD for a long time. This was more than a decade ago, and and more than one on more than one occasion, which surprised me. The first time, I just thought people were just saying it to be saying it. Then the second time, I was going, "Wait a minute!" And they were a, they were years apart, and they were all males. And they said, "I remember when my child was conceived, what you were playing on the air." That was amazing to me. That was a but. The way that my show is, though, and it's mainly instrumental most of the time, it does flow. It does flow very well. And so, like I said, the first mm-hmm. time I just thought, what is this man doing on the air, you know, <laughs> off the air talking to me about this nonsense? It's whatever. It reminded me. It really reminded me when I was in graduate school and there was a um, student from Ghana and I was in the library and he says, which tribe is your family from, from Ghana? And I said, that is the, that is an unusual pickup line <laughs> to myself <laughs> in case he was, because te- uh-huh. I didn't, I didn't know what he's talking. Six months later, Jerry, believe it or not, somebody asked me the same thing. And so I said, I don't know because of slavery and whatever. And I said, why, why do you think I come from Ghana? I came from Ghana. And then he was talking about my high cheekbones and my forehead structure. And I was just like amazed. So when the guys at three different times said they knew which song I was playing when their child was conceived, that was, I guess that's an honor. I get whatever it is, it's an acknowledgement that goes beyond the average. Okay. So people, it's beautiful. Art to me is art is art. And if people can either be inspired or touched by it, they don't even have to learn from it. Like the other Avenue C block people, they always say, who was in the background, this, that. I don't do that. I just give them a mood to get into. That's that's all mood sure. to me. Yeah. So. Sure. 
I was thinking of that with your Sunday show, too, oh, to, yeah. to tell you the truth. Yeah, I whatever. All right. Well, good. <laughs> well, on that note, I think we'll say thank you to Gloria James, our guest today here on uh, Disc Jockey Confidential. And Gloria, good luck. I hope you're doing your show for many more years here on WVUD. Oh, thank you, Jerry, for the opportunity. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Jerry Grant, and this is a series of programs we're calling Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark, the voice of the University of Delaware. I'll be interviewing some of my fellow VUD jocks to find out what path they took to arrive here at the station. We'll discuss their earliest experiences with music and radio and how those experiences inform their show currently on WVUD. Today's guest is Gloria James, host of Mellow Madness on Sundays, and the distinctive voice of uh, many of WVUD's promos and uh, public service announcements. Welcome, Gloria. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming out. Um, I'll just start out. Uh, why don't you just describe your show right now, basically? Mellow Madness is a combination of fusion jazz sprinkled with a little R&B. Good, good. Now, I will say, and you're on Sundays now at this moment here, we're, we're speaking in June of 2018. Um, but for many years, you were in the uh, Avenue C rotation, which is our jazz show in the evening. Right. Is, is it any different from that or how is it different from that? It's, it's a little different in that uh, when I was on Avenue C and I do miss it. I don't miss the hours, but I do the time slot, but I do miss it as far as the format. Uh, Avenue C, my Avenue portion of Avenue C, which is weekly, was based on fusion jazz. It was more contemporary jazz. And every once in a while, I would put traditional or avant-garde jazz, but it was all jazz. There were no elements of rhythm and blues at all. Okay. Well, good. Well, we'll start out the way we start out a lot of these episodes, which is to ask... Um, where were you born and where'd you grow up? I was born in Augusta, Georgia. I lived most of my life in the South with the exception of three years. My father was stationed in Hawaii. So I'm oh. an army brat to say the least. Yeah. So Texas, South Carolina, Kentucky, um, those, those parts. Yeah. Great. Great. So growing up, uh, at a young age or whatever. I mean, do you remember the first time you heard music? No, but I do remember that Sam Cooke, Mahalia Jackson, and um, let's see, with this ring, I keep on forgetting that group. But anyway, my family usually played um, the radio. So I did grow up with that. The platters, the platters. The platters, yes, sure. Uh -huh. yes, sure, yes. sure. Um, good. So did anybody in the family play an instrument? I was the first, not the last, and definitely not proficient. I was the first to play clarinet, and I always wanted, I had this desire. So I went to my parents, and my father said that um, the clarinet was more feminine than the saxophone. <laughs> and, so uh. to, and I really <laughs> believe that that has influenced my love of fusion jazz, because in more contemporary jazz, there's always a saxophone, a sexy saxophone that's featured Whereas there's no clarinet. The clarinet is more with the big bands. And I struggled with the clarinet. But I learned uh, to read music. That was a benefit. But I was a horrible 
person as far as the instrument was concerned. <laughs> sure, I understand. Uh, I, I noticed on your show, though, that there are a lot of fusion acts kind of feature. Maybe it's a, gee, I'm going to throw my ignorance here, but a soprano sax or a, a you know, a sax that kind of is on the border with the clarinet. Yes. Or something, you know what I mean? Yes. That's right. my slight diversion, slight rebellion <laughs> from my father. Okay. <laughs> Were your parents musical at all besides being fans of music? My father thought he could sing. My mother actually could sing, but they didn't play any instruments, no. Okay, good. And did your mom do any professional singing or just singing? They did like local theater, like they did Oklahoma and things like that. She was a great alto. Oh, mm-hmm. great, great, great. Um, so, well, you did a lot of moving. So uh, do, you, what, do you remember the radio stations that were, did any radio station kind of stick with you uh, from your youth? Other than whatever it was, Wolfman Jack was on. That was years ago. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. I think he was syndicated mm-hmm. or some something yeah. like that. Yeah. Huh. And so it was mainly the local radio station. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so you kept moving around. Did you, uh, in high school, did you settle down in high school or were you still moving? The first year in high school, I was in Texas. My last few years of high school was in Salisbury, Maryland, because my parents grew up in Princess Anne, Maryland, which is about 15, 20 minutes away south of Salisbury. So they built a home when my father was stationed in Korea in the 60s. And then we came back to permanently live uh, in 1969. Good. Do you... um did your taste change at all, or did you did you did you find your taste developing in high school? I mean, did you start to go in any specific direction? I I think I was more top forty, rhythm and blues. I definitely was not into jazz. No. Right. 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 Uh, and in high school, did you were you continuing with the clarinet, or did you had you dropped oh it by God. then? Oh my God! No. My sister went on marching band and the whole bit in high school, but no, I. Dropped the clarinet uh, a while ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, were there records in your house growing up? 78s and uh-huh. some 33s. That's that. I know I'm dating myself. No, but that's so, all right. So be it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. And do you remember what they were? I, I do know, like I said, we had Platters. We had mm-hmm. Sam Cooke. Mm-hmm. We had Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Um, there was Elvis Presley that, that we did in fact have. So those kinds of tunes. Good, good. And, um, oh, James Brown. Oh God, who, I cannot forget James Brown because you know, the claim is that although he's, he was not born in Augusta, we claim him. So definitely James Brown was a mainstay in our house. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't thinking of that, but he always, he'll state that on many of his Mm -hmm. records that he was born in Augusta, GA. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how about that? How about live music when you were growing up? Um, you heard your mother sing. Did mm-hmm. you, would you, you know, go out and hear music played someplace or maybe in church or, or whatever? Lots of gospel in church. Lots of gospel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Did you sing yourself? Oh, my God. I, I wish I could. Okay. I, I, re- I was exposed speaking to... speaking voice is so wonderful. Well, I thought you might have a wonderful singing well, voice. Well, see... <laughs> I'm sorry. I was, when I was in Salisbury, I was in commercial radio for, uh, from 19, like 78 to 1984. And I was really exposed to a lot of promoters, as a matter of fact. 
And the last concert I did was uh, the 1999 tour with Prince. And the Salisbury Civic Center held approximately 7,000, a little bit under 7,000. And I remember him being very mild-spoken, and I didn't introduce him. But on the ticket was also Nasty Girls yeah, and, uh-huh. and, and um, Maurice Time in the Day, and I actually introduced them. So I was really exposed to a lot of promoters. And if I really could have sung, I really do think I would be on a different side of a mic. I do, but... <laughs> I can't even sing in the shower. Sure. I can't. No. So I didn't inherit my mom's genes on that side. Okay. (laughs) Okay, great. Um, So in high school, um, and you end up in Salisbury Mm -hmm. um, for those years. So um, what was the station down there? Do you remember? Uh, WJDY. And later on, yeah, and and later on, that's where I work part time at WJDY. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I remember going to camp down in uh, uh, somewhere down there on the Chesapeake, and one one day tuning into WAAN. Is that what it was out of Baltimore, like an R and B on the A? Yeah, on the or Annapolis. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, Annapolis. There yeah. you go. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. Um. Good. So. Um, in high school, uh, so you graduate from high school, and so where do you go from that point? I went uh, to Wesley College in Dover. I got my AA there. I got my um, BA from Wellesley College. That's in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I got my master's from Salisbury University, and I got my PhD, believe it or not, from here, from the University of Delaware. Well, So, yeah. I should ask you what your day job is. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Public health. I am uh, the Bureau Chief of Adolescent and Reproductive Health in uh, the family health sections. And it really, really, the whole section keeps us busy because it's almost from like the cradle to the grave if you talk about lifespan development. But my main emphasis is in adolescent health. And there are school-based wellness centers that are like clinics in high schools, in our high schools in Delaware. And there's also the Alliance for Adolescent Pregnancy Prevention and the PrEP program, which is federally funded, which stands for Personal Responsibility Education Program, both PrEP and Adolescent um, AAPP, they concentrate on providing evidence-based curricula to reduce pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases. So, and I'm also um, the direct report of the Title X or the Family Planning reports to me. So in all, there are like 31 school-based wellness centers, and there are 25 reproductive health clinics in the state. So it really does keep us busy. My bureau's real busy. Yeah. Oh, good. Very good. So, And, and that's in health and social services? Yes. The right. vision of public health. Absolutely. Right. right. Good. All right. Back to music. Um, uh, so in high school, your tastes are still pop and R&B? Pretty much, yeah. Would you say every once in a while, believe it or not, I would listen to uh, country. I would. I like sure. Glenn Campbell. I loved him. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Would you go out to any dances or anything? Were there um, were there like school dances? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We. My father was kind of strict. We had to be home by twelve o'clock, and I couldn't mm-hmm. start dating until I was like sixteen. But yeah, yeah. We okay. used to go to local high schools. They also had like in some of the churches. They had like little club party types of things, non-alcoholic. I really love those. I like those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Well, a lot of the up up here in 
where I grew up in Newcastle County, the Catholic schools actually put on many of the many of the dances. The most popular mm. dances, like on Friday and Saturday nights, would be Sally's or St. Elizabeth's or something like that. Also, the fire halls would put them on. And uh, anyway, it was almost kind of like a little culture or something. It was the first I ever really heard, like say, loud music played to dance. Yeah. You know, really loud music. And when I was in twelfth grade, because my sister was two years older than I was, uh, we used to go to University of Maryland Eastern Shore for some of their parties. And I'm telling you. I don't think, not to put this generation down, the younger generation, but back in our day, Jerry, you came to party. I mean, you partied, and I didn't, I still don't drink. I didn't drink then. I still don't drink. But I had a wonderful time. To me, there were so many people jam-packed in any one given space, and people would come before, just like right after dark, and then stay. Of course, we had to be home by 12, but... People would stay and actually have fun. They wouldn't congregate in corners. They didn't have cell phones to distract them. So we honestly had fun. I would think that the walls were sweating. We had so much fun. <laughs> so that was a that was a good fun time, party time. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Well, that, part of the inspiration for this show is when I dropped my daughter off down at, at college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, well, gee, I'll be I'll go through the dorms here and hear all the crazy sounds. Yeah. Everybody's got their earphones on. Yes. It's like a monastery. It's, I'm telling you. <laughs> Benny and the Jets by Elton John was very, and I'm telling you, my girlfriend went to Howard University, which is a historically black school. You could hear, and I'm telling you, the dorm rooms, like the windows were open, like every other dorm hall, it was Benny and the Jets. So we really liked that. And I remember my sister went to the the one that's two years older than I am. She went to University of Maryland College Park. For their homecoming, and again, I was in 12th grade. My sister was a sophomore in college. And for homecoming, they had Isaac Hayes. And I just fell in love with the chains and the ball head. I thought I had died (laughs) and gone to heaven. There were several other events that were there, but I remember Isaac Hayes. And that was right around the time I think about Shaft. Just, oh, loved, loved the performance. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Uh, that was great yeah. to see him live. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And come come from the bottom, you know, and then they raised him up through an elevator and then he uh, was on the stage uh, and he had a full orchestra behind him. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. Like I said, died and gone to heaven. Wow. <laughs> and where was that? That was at University of Maryland College Park. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sure. For, sure. for their homecoming back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk more about your musical taste. So um, you start going to college, and uh, when do you get exposed to jazz? In college. In college. In fact, when I was at Wellesley, um, Grover Washington Jr. was there. And he just seemed to be such a gracious person. And plus, I always, I don't, I don't, I couldn't relate to traditional jazz. And I know that traditional jazz enthusiasts and stuff probably feel that fusion jazz really isn't jazz. But to me, art forms are art forms. And so people interpret and experience and express in different ways. And I think the beauty of WVUD is people find a genre home for themselves. And so they relate to that home or connect to other people based on either their experiences, their expressions, their taste, their appetite for that type of music. So I can honestly tell you that Grover Washington Jr. made me appreciate the difference between the fusion 
or the contemporary rock stuff and then flowing into fusion jazz. So although he was classically trained, and I was very much aware of that, I liked his sound because it flowed. Whereas the traditional jazz, I, I, I still really haven't, I, I have a deep appreciation for the John Coltrane's of the world. But that's not what I play on my show when it, when it was Avenue C. That's not what I play. I f- play fusion jazz. So, sure. Yeah. I understand. I understand. You uh, are listening to that, so you're buying those records, and that's, I mean, that's... Uh, I'm usually, well, in, in college, I usually bought rhythm and blues. I would listen or borrow somebody else's, you know, because I had limited money when I was in school. Sure. But, but definitely, I like Grover Washington Jr., um, BT Express, Earth... The beginning um, of Earth, Wind & Fire, when Earth, Wind & Fire had a female vocalist, they were jazzy. They really, really were, and Cool and the Gang the same way. If you look Mm -hmm. at uh, Summer Madness, that is based on fusion jazz. But if you listen to Cool and the Gang on Let's Celebrate, that's classic rhythm and blues. So there were some artists that were transitional or or mixed between, and that, that helped me appreciate jazz later on yeah. right right i i agree with you there i didn't know earth wind and fire had a female vocalist. oh my good yes Be- oh yeah yeah I, 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 I that that was earth wind and fire was absolutely my favorite group absolutely back in the day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i should have asked you too i was asking the other people i've interviewed here but do you remember the first record you bought no no okay and probably is because i had two so one sister is um six years older than me and the other one's two and so, you know, you have hand-me-down or shared. They were the ones who, who bought it because they had disposable income, whereas I didn't have anything. So, mm-hmm. or, or listening to my parents. So, no, I don't remember the first sure. one I bought. Yeah, I always envy people with older siblings. I was mm-hmm. the oldest. I, I, I would try to go next door. Some guy had, he actually worked in a record store and he had all these records. Oh, see, good for you. Wow, that you were lucky. Yeah, like it was the early 60s. So he had like all the Ray Charles and then he had all like the Hootenanny stuff, you know, uh-huh. just it was, uh, it was great, great exposure to all that stuff. Right. So how did you end up on radio in general? I stumbled into radio. Uh, some people tell me that I have the gift of the gab. And it depends upon which day. Since I live with myself, I don't talk to myself. But I do have the gift of the gab, so <laughs> I'm very verbose. And so there was a guy named Mike in Sal- when I was in Salisbury. Mm-hmm. There was a guy named Mike when I had come back from Wellesley and graduated. And, what, and I came back because I, I was like in graduate school. There was a guy named Mike, and he said uh, there was an African-American lady named Nettie Dean and there was always uh, that kind of pro- R&B programming, and it was on Sunday, and it was for two hours. He knew her well enough to know that she was, she was a teacher, and she was going back to teach, but she was going to South Carolina. And for some reason, he said, Gloria, I think that most people have always grown up to be a cat, wanting to be a cowboy or cowgirl or an actress or an actor or on the radio. And he said, have you ever considered being on the radio because you have a radio voice? And I paused. I had a little pregnant pause. And (laughs) I said, wow, sure. You know, not knowing, but thinking that I could deliver. You know, one of my majors was English, so I certainly could read copy. I knew enough about that. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd never done an air check, sound check. 
I didn't know what those were. I didn't know what a third class license. I didn't know any of that stuff. I only knew that a gentleman gave me a compliment and that was enough for me to go for it. So he said, he told me what to do and where to go. I went to the station. The station manager was there. He introduced me to the program director and the music director. And uh, he said, you come highly recommended. And then he started me a- asking me all these questions that I didn't know the answer to. So he said, have you ever read copy from the AP machine? Well, I knew what that was. Mm-hmm. So he just tore it off. And of course, one of my majors is English. And you can look at news commentators on any given day and see how they enunciate words. So that to me was like a piece of cake. That was fun. And so apparently he was impressed because giving him all this information that I didn't have a clue, I guess he must have said, okay, she's got a good voice, but her delivery is going to stink, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> nah. And so then he, he asked me, do you have an air check? And I said, oh, I'm not familiar with an air check. <laughs> of course, I don't know. Sure. And then so he, when he asked me, um, uh, he said, so I assume that you don't have a third class license. And I didn't know what it was, but I said, oh, but I'm sure I can I can get that. <laughs> <laughs> so they take me doing the uh, news from the AP machine. And they told me that the station had just been bought by a new station owner. And basically, don't call us, we'll call you. So I just lollygagged and said, okay, then maybe I don't because I don't know what the third class license is. I don't, but I can go research it. I can go research it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it it must have been like four weeks, six weeks later, the program director asked me if I was interested in working at the station. And I was so flat because I said, well, first of all, I still don't have third class license, but I got an application just in case. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have an air check. But I figured if they hired me, I could learn to do the air check inside the station. And so they allowed me to make mistakes without firing me because there was dead air in the beginning. There was the nervousness. There was a timing in commercial radio is extremely important. And you have to work right up. If it says 30 seconds, uh, uh, public service announcement, or commercial, that's what you have to do. And there's also, I think, a skill with talking through the segue, the transition between one record, one CAD and the other. So you have to really learn the timing of the the transition piece that's musical up to that first word. Okay. And when I started, people loved mixing as well. And I, I sort of learned it. I think sometimes I don't, the audience, not everybody believes in God. But I believe in a force. I do. And I believe that force connects us all. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that it was destined for me to be in that place with Mike and do whatever. And so whatever comes out of me is an instrument of that spirit. And so there are a lot of people who thought, okay, did you go to school for this? Well, no, I just fell into it. And so even if you have the skill even if you can deliver, but people don't connect with your voice or they don't feel your voice, then it doesn't work. 
And so my voice has nothing to do with what I did. It has to do with just who I am and how it's always been. Mm -hmm. So anyway, in the meantime, (laughs) I definitely messed up more than two or three times. (laughs) In fact, the program director said, uh, after I had done it for like a year and a half, he said, Gloria, don't, don't take this offensively. I said, okay. He said, I think you're one of the laziest talents that radio probably has because you don't even realize the gift that you have with the voice. And you could be in major market making lots of money, but you won't check your show. You don't tape your show. You don't. But by day, I used to work at a community action agency in adult medical daycare. And so there's stress, just like the stress on my job with public health, making sure that the date is okay, making sure that the disability, all this. And so I looked at radios as simply as a release. And so if I looked at it too technically, although I think that you should be a skilled technician, I do, and that your delivery and how you do the equipment is very important. I just felt that that was my uh, relaxation, my form of relaxation. And I thought that my voice mirrored that. So if I was really, really laid back, then my voice would also indicate that. So he was saying it. And, and I sort of agreed with him, but not to the point that I was going to start taping my show and executing. Now I do. Now that we don't get paid for it, I really do listen <laughs> to my show. And it does make a difference because you can tell where your energy levels were. You can tell where your levels were as far as the how it went over the air and stuff. And I do believe that people can enhance their performance by listening to themselves, not an ego thing at all. It's a technical. But while I was in commercial radio, I, I just, I was going with the flow. You know, you're in your sure. 20s, and when you're in your 20s, you think you can do anything, and yeah, yeah, blah, blah. What? But he planted that seed way before I came to this station, and I think it's, he's, he's probably right. So, like I said, JDY gave me the chance to become professional, in the industry and when I got married and moved up here I really really missed radio I did and so the opportunity lent itself at the station and somebody I don't know if I was in graduate school I don't even remember but somebody approached me and said you know uh, once again Gloria you have a radio voice did you know that W uh, 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 VUD it wasn't WVUD at the time has an opening uh, for their jazz slot. And I was saying myself now, hmm, I know Grover Washington Jr. I know, and I was naming some people, I don't know too much about jazz and they might be disappointed. But then I said, you know what? If you can develop your own distinctive flavor in the genre, and that's what the person said that you could do, then things would be okay. So I was going to try to pick up any kind of fusion jazz that flowed into one another. And a lot of times the traditional jazz and the fusion jazz don't flow into each other. They don't. Right. And so that's that's basically is how I got started. Oh, that's great. So someone approached you from WVUD, or it was WXDR back uh, then, right? Right, right. right someone right. approached you? Yeah, and it must have been a student. I'm trying to think. I do know... Before I started going to graduate school here, 
I worked at the University of Delaware. And so it in continuing education. So it may have been somebody that I either knew professionally, but it was somebody who approached me on campus mm-hmm. and said, would you would you be interested, you know, in the jazz slot? And so when I mm-hmm. checked it out and I found out that I had the freedom of playing more modern jazz and that's mm-hmm. all I hate to really do is learn the subject matter with jazz, then that was a good thing. Good. Yeah. So you've been doing fusion from day one? Yes. Uh, uh, yes. At, at WVD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. 